0: But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to the death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will rise us also with Jesus and bring with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving, to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart through our outer self in wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing, you, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen. You may have your seat. And welcome Pastor Todd.
1: And then it's hot in here to me, so I'm going to have to have somebody adjust the AC because I'm blazing. My armpits are like, I mean, just to be honest, they're like pouring down my elbows. Um, I can't handle that. That's too distracting. Let me pray, get into God's word, and go after it together. Let's pause our hearts for what God would have for us. God, we come with quiet hearts, or we ask that you would quiet our hearts. Maybe we come with active hearts, with fear, with anxieties, trepidation. So we ask that you, through the Holy Spirit, would quiet our hearts to receive from your word, which is a gift that you've given to us that's infallible, inspired by you, inerrant with no error grateful for your word. I pray that your word would bring us hope this morning as we look more into the idea of suffering. We pray this in Christ Jesus' holy name and God's people said amen this morning. If you were here Wednesday night, I would encourage you to come
2: Wednesday night. Uh, This is a sweet moment of prayer and fellowship and eating together. I shared this with those that came on Wednesday night. You know, Sunday after church, I I, uh, left with a heavy heart. I left with a lot going on in my mind and my heart and just praying for our body uh, uh, here. Uh, Monday morning, I woke up. I was in God's Word, studying God's Word. I'm in the middle of 2 Corinthians. I came to the passage that uh, Brother Joshua just read to us. And that morning, I thought, this is where God would have me. We're in, if you haven't been with us, we're in the letter of James. And James is talking about our trials. What do we do in our trials and how do we view our trials? And last Sunday leaving here, I just felt this sense of suffering for us. And so we're not going to move away from James. We're going to continue James next week. But if you've ever been on the Blue Ridge Highway, you know you can pull off and see the scenic view. So this morning we're still going to head on the highway that God's called us to through the book of James as we look at our trials. But we're going to take a side detour for a moment and pause to have this idea in mind. I want us to leave here this morning and the title of the message is The Hope in the Midst of Suffering. And let me say the title again because the title is so important. It's The Hope in the Midst of Suffering suffering not the hope after our suffering but in the middle of our suffering how do we have hope through the suffering you're going through and so I want to address that through God's word this morning so my hope is that you would leave with hope this morning that's been my prayer and so here we are in second Corinthians second Corinthians is a book that or a letter again that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth and he's kind of bringing them back he's disciplining them and then he's saying to them here in these first 3 chapters he's pointing them back to the gospel so the first 3 chapters are pointing all the writer or the readers to the idea of the gospel and so he brings into light the gospel in the first few verses of chapter 4 and he starts this passage in chapter 4 with don't lose heart I wonder how many of us, in our suffering, lose heart. Am I the only one? And so this morning, you may be here and you are losing heart, or you've lost heart. And I want to give you hope to the suffering that you are
1: going through. I want to offer us, this church, the hope that we have, and the hope that we must leave with this morning. And so, I want to leave us with the hope of the gospel today. So Paul comes out
2: in chapter four and he says this, but we have this treasure. Circle that word treasure in your Bible. The first thing we have to ask ourselves in the middle of our suffering, that's what he's writing about. He's saying in the middle of our suffering, Christ is giving us this treasure. I'm not saying the treasure is the suffering, but we have a treasure in the midst of our suffering. And so we have to ask ourselves first and foremost, what is the treasure? The treasure is the gospel. If you're a believer here this morning, in the middle of your suffering, you do have the gospel in you. What is the gospel? The gospel is this, in the simplest terms, that we were apart from Christ because of our sin. And being apart from Christ, or being apart from God, God sent His one and only Son, To bridge the gap from our sin to God's holiness. Because there was nothing in our sinfulness that would ever reach the holiness of God. No matter any of our efforts that we would try to do. And so God and his kindness, his love to us. It says in John 3.16, sent his only son to bridge that gap for us. And now he says here in this text that that treasure, the gospel, has been entrusted to you. So you and I, if you're a believer, you have the gospel in you. That's what he says in those first few verses in chapter 4. Let me read exactly the treasure that's been implanted to you or given to you. It says, for we, and this is verse 5, for what we proclaim is not of ourselves, but is Jesus Christ that is in us. For God said... To us, let light shine out of darkness as shown in your hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying here is this, that God has given you the treasure of the gospel in your life to do something with that treasure. Now, here's the sad part, the next part. Now, if I were to give you a treasure... Where would you put the treasure? Like your bedroom? Like where like it's interactive? Like Jesus is a treasure that God's given to us. We would take that treasure and put it somewhere safe. Would we not? But look what God does. Look what God does with the treasure that he's given to us. It says where did he put that treasure? In jars of clay. You know how fragile clay is? He's going to go on in the text. But now in God's sovereignty and his wisdom, he's given you the gospel in the moment of your suffering in a jar of clay. Why would he do that? Because no one in this room would put a treasure in a jar of clay that's breakable, perishable. We'd go house it somewhere that nothing could get to. But he says now, and this is going to be throughout our suffering, it is that he would allow the treasure, remember what the treasure is, it's the light of the gospel that would shine out of us, so that what? To show the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. So God in his wisdom implants the gospel into something that's breakable so that you and I can't say we had anything to do with it. And now Paul is going to say, let me let you know what that is going to be like for you. And now comes the rough part. He says, so now we have this gospel message in us as a treasure given to us by God so that not our power be seen, but his power will be seen through us. And now he's going to show us how that power is going to be seen to other people outside of us. He's going to give four paradoxes here in the text. These are four promises, though, for us. Here's the four promises that God gives to us through Paul. He says we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. The first paradox is this. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. What that means is, those words mean this, that there's going to be pressure that's going to be placed onto you. Now what happens if you were to place pressure onto a clay pot? It's going to smash to pieces. But yet, God is saying through Paul, though there's pressure, though there's suffering, you're going to have a lot of pressure but because of the power of God that he's entrusted in us with the gospel, it's his power, not our power, the power of the gospel that is in you will withstand the pressure that's going to come to you in your suffering. Now how many of us in our suffering does it not feel like all the walls are caving in on us? And yet the promise of the hope of the gospel is this, yes, there will be pressure. I don't know what the suffering is you have That is pressure. But the promise this morning is you will not be crushed in your suffering. Satan wants to say to us, we will be crushed in our suffering. So what happens is we then believe that I've got to be the one that withholds the pressure. right? When life is caving in, I want to push out so I don't get crushed. And that leads me to believe I've got the power not to be crushed and I forget to put my trust and hope in the power that is in me, which is the gospel that's pushing out the walls though they seem to be crashing in. Because we will not be crushed in our suffering. Amen? The next place he says, and these build on each other. The next one he says is this, you will be perplexed but not driven to despair. Again, these paradoxes, if you look at them in the Greek, are really discouraging. Because there's going to be pressure. That's not a promise. You won't have pressure. You will have pressure. The next one is this. The word perplex means this in the Greek. You will have loss. Like in your suffering, you will lose things. You'll lose some of your health. You may lose relationships. You may lose a job. Like, there is loss in our suffering. But well, here's the, the promise of this paradox. Though you lose, he says you won't lose everything. What's the thing you won't lose? The gospel that he's implanted in you. He will make sure you do not lose that. Nothing can rob you out of the Father's hand. That's a promise that we've been given. So you will have loss, but you will not have total loss because you have the gospel. The next one is, the fourth thing is this. You will be persecuted, but not forsaken. What that word persecuted means is this. You will be hunted down. Like there is a hunter coming after you. That's what Peter will tell us in 1 Peter chapter 5. We have an enemy that prowls around like a roaring lion. What does roaring lions do? They hunt their prey. You are being hunted. In your suffering, God is allowing you to be hunted by the adversary. I don't know why. I just know that's what the Word of God says to us. But here's the promise. Though we're hunted... We're not forsaken, we're not let alone. Which means he will pursue us, but he can't kill us. Remember what Jesus says in John 10:10. 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's hunting. He says, but this, if you come into the rest of that text is about if you jump into my sheepfold, then I'll protect you, and you're not alone. And though the The enemy comes against you. You have protection. You're not alone in your suffering. Again, how many of us in our suffering, does it not feel like we're being hunted down and being killed and we feel all alone? How many of us, me included, have said in our suffering, where is God? Where is he? Right, because what Satan wants to do is take our eyes off the Lord and put them, and he'll say it later on in the text, is to put our eyes on the world to find our comfort and our safety. Because the moment we take our eyes off the Lord and put them on to the horizontal rather than the vertical, we are in danger. The next one, he says this. You will be, what? Struck down, but not destroyed. Here's what Paul is saying in that text. You will be knocked down, but you won't be knocked out. Again, in your suffering, you will hit the canvas. It's a a boxing term he's using. You may take a knee, you may fall over, me, you may stagger on the ropes. And some of you this morning are staggering on the ropes. Some of you may be one knee down, some of you may be feeling like you're flat out about to hit the 10 count from the ref. But the promise from God through his word is this. You might be struck down, but you won't be knocked out. You won't get to the 10 count. You will always get up again. How come? Because the power of the gospel is in you and the the power of the gospel is in you. When you're knocked down, we get to get up. But it's not you getting up on your own. It's what? The gospel, God in you, that allows you to rise to your feet again. But here's the promise. You will rise again. This is a cycle. You will be afflicted again. You will be perplexed again. You will be persecuted again. And you will be struck down again. This is going to be the natural rhythm of your life now till you hit your last breath. And that's why it often feels like, man, at every turn, the moment I feel like I'm getting up, I get knocked down. Am I the only one? But that's a promise from God. But the backside of that promise is this. You won't be crushed. You won't be despaired. You won't be forsaken. You won't be destroyed. How come? Because of the power of the gospel. And so now Paul's going to say, hey, now what do we do with this rhythm that God through his word, and through the Holy Spirit is going to allow us to go in. How come we go through suffering? Paul's going to answer that question. You want to know the reason you go through suffering. Paul now answers the question in the next few verses. He says this in verse 11 through the following, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also be, made, be manifested in our mortal bodies. And He gives the promise here. But he's saying this. You will go through all these things because you carry the body of Christ. What is the body of Christ? Affliction. Hebrews will tell us. He was... He was beaten he understands all of your suffering because he's gone through the same suffering and then some and we carry that body in us so if we think we're not going to go through suffering then we don't have a savior who's gone through suffering and he's saying to us you will suffer but here's the reason you will suffer because christ suffered and what's the reason that christ suffered and what's the reason that you suffered he answers the question so that death is at work in us but life in you Well, who's the you? The you are those outside of you that are watching you go through the suffering. So we suffer for other people's sake so that they wouldn't see our power, but they'd see the power of Christ and God working through us. I don't think there's a better evangelistic tool than suffering. Let me say that again. The greatest tool for evangelizing a lost world is suffering. How do we know that? Let's get on a plane and go to China. Let's get on a plane and go to India. Those churches are going through these things, and we see their numbers of conversions coming in ways that we've never seen before. But it's not because they're not suffering. It's because they're going through suffering. So do you want your neighbor to come through to Christ? You must suffer because they're going to witness how you suffer. And then they're going to ask the question, and you've probably been asked the question, man, how did you go through all that suffering? And then it lays the doorway wide open to share the gospel. So we suffer for the sake of others. Paul goes on to say, I'll just brief this for just a moment. We suffer for. Because we have hope. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I've spoken. So we also believe and so we also speak. Here's why. He's saying this is how we speak in the faith. Here's how we speak in the faith. Here's how we go through suffering. Knowing that he who raised Christ Jesus will what? Raise us also. We have hope in our suffering because just like Jesus suffered and died, he what? Raised from the dead. And it was not Christ who raised himself from the dead. It was the Holy Spirit. It was God who raised Christ from the dead. So the same God that lives in you is the same God that rose Christ from the dead from that, that tomb that morning. That same power is in you. That's our hope. We have hope because we have the power of the gospel. Do you believe that this morning? He goes on to say this, we have hope in our suffering because we have the power of the resurrection in us. He says it again, for it is your sake so that the grace extends more and more to people that they may increase in thanksgiving to God through the glory, through the glory of God. We suffer so that other people will give glory to God. And now he comes to the the final moment this morning. This is our hope this morning. So we do not lose heart. He started the passage that way in verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry, that's the ministry by, by the mercy of God or the ministry of the gospel, we do not lose heart. Go down to verse 16. We do not lose heart. How come? Three reasons we don't have to lose heart. Though the first one is true. Though our outward selves are wasting away. Our inward self is being renewed day by day. The first reason we do not lose heart. Though our outward bodies are wasting away. Our inner souls are being renewed day by day. Does not your suffering push you to a place of intimacy with God that you have not had before. Like when I'm suffering, I'm suffering hard, man, I'm going to my knees more and more and more. My my life is going well. It's like, man, it's going well. I I don't need to go to the Lord. Though I know I need to go to the Lord, my, my circumstances don't take me to the Lord. And I've seen many of you in here, God has allowed you to suffer, and I have witnessed something eternal happening in your souls that I don't believe could or would have happened without the suffering. So the first thing is this. Though our outward bodies are wasting away, our inner souls are being strengthened through our suffering. The next one is this. This is the promise For this light, momentary affliction, the next promise of this in our suffering, I said it last week, I'll say it again, it is momentary. Remember what James said in James chapter 4, your life is but a vapor, therefore your suffering is but a vapor. Now you might suffer now till you die. I have no idea. But in comparison to eternity it is so, so tiny. So we suffer because we know this, this suffering won't last forever. And the last reason that we suffer, Paul says this, because we believe our suffering is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. Your suffering is preparing you for your eternity. Let me say that again. Your suffering is preparing you for what's next. And I don't mean what's next tomorrow. I mean what's next for the rest of your life. How come does not our suffering put us into deeper intimacy and worship with God? What do we know to be true about heaven? You will have a deeper intimacy with God and you will always worship God. So in our suffering, it is the practice ground to be intimately involved with Christ and live out our lives as an act of worship because one day that's all you will do. So this is the practice ground for your eternal state. But The way that God and the ways that God does that is primarily through suffering. I said it throughout the series, I'll say it again. Anyone that wants to live a godly life must suffer. How come? Because the one man that was flawless without sin on this planet suffered more than any of us. So if he suffered and he was flawless, you better believe we will suffer. Because we carry what his name is. That is why we're called Christians. It simply means little Christ you will suffer. So as a way of application, as a way of taking a side ramp to see the overlook of the Blue Ridge Mountains in our suffering, the glory of it all, we must suffer well. Because when we suffer well, we will see the glory of God. And so in our suffering, I want to remind us of three things in our application. You will suffer because you live in a fallen, broken world but it's temporary. You will suffer, but you must remember that God will use your suffering to win lost people. There's two things that we hold true here at Powell's Chapel. To know him and to make him known. To know him means we must suffer, and to make him known means we must suffer well. Because we want to win this city for Christ. Do we not? So we must suffer. The last one is this. We must remember that God is and will continue to use our suffering first and foremost for his glory. I don't know how that works in his economy. I simply just know that's true. When I look at all of the heroes of the Bible, they all suffered, but they all pointed to God. Jared said it during the middle of worship. Those three young men that were thrown into the furnace, they said this. Though we perish and though we know God could could save us, we simply are going to give our lives to the Lord. That's called the glory of God. So we first know that our suffering is for His glory. And the second is this, we must remember that our suffering is for his glory and for my good. Will we suffer well? I promise this, Powell's Chapel. There is hope, capital H hope, in our suffering. The hope of the gospel. May we find him, seek him, believe in him, and trust in him. Through our suffering, let us pray together.